Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Not Just Dribble. I'm your host, Eric Stein. And today, I'm joined by the host of Bases, Birds, Bullies, and Baskets, Connor Gall. Connor, what's up? What's going on, man? I'm so happy to be here for the first time, man. I'm excited. I love listening to you talk on Not Just Dribble. It's been fun to listen to so far. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I've been waiting what feels like far too long to have <laughs> you on, finally. Uh, so it's great. Connor, of course, friend of the show, uh, and I've made you know multiple appearances now on Bases, Birds, yeah. Bullies, and Baskets. Uh, we're going to call that the 4Bs pod. Yeah, that's as, what I refer to it as. Yeah, yeah it's a as mouthful. You, as you can find uh, on Spotify as well. And so, yes, please, we're just, for the rest of the show, just know it's the 4Bs pod. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to trip over that uh, from here on out. It's all right, I still do too. So. It, yeah, okay, so I feel good about that. <laughs> all right, so I do want to tackle... Uh, all Philly basketball today, predominantly the Sixers, and we just had a big deal go down, of course. James Harden is now a Philadelphia 76er. Yeah, dude, and honestly, it does feel like it's time to celebrate in Philadelphia. Not celebrate as in some people are putting it where it's like, given championship, it's ours for the taking. That's not what I mean. It's time to celebrate because that dark cloud of this team is finally out of here, and we didn't mortgage the future in doing so absolutely i think that's something that hasn't hit me yet is ben simmons is off of the team yes we're gonna say his name finally even though the national media is like he (laughs) treats him like voldemort i swear he's been a a huge distraction for so long and i think it is better for him being out of the city but for philadelphia it feels like almost for the whole season and in to this past offseason has been just a halt. It feels like zero progress has been made. Mm-hmm. So him just getting out whatever the package was would feel like progress. And the fact it's former MVP, yeah, that's incredible. To me. One of the best shooting guards in the game right now. Of all time. Um, I mean, how could you be disappointed? We gave up uh, Seth Curry. Yeah. Obviously, we, know we got rid of Ben Simmons. But we gave up Seth Curry, Drummond, and... Two firsts. Correct, yeah. A 2023 so, unprotected and a 2027 protected. Uh, we knew Maxi was untouchable, and I think it was kind of like a clear consensus. A lot of us didn't want it to happen, but we kind of thought Thibel would be thrown into a package because most teams wanted uh, an extra great young ball player along with Ben Simmons if they were going to take that contract on. So being able to keep him and Maxi, I think it's huge for this team, moving forward especially. Yeah, absolutely. I thought for sure Matisse Thibel would have to be included, and I was terrified of that prospect. I was confident that Sixers Brass was convinced that Maxie was untouchable. I think everyone was trying to be under the impression Tyrese Maxie was untouchable, and he has certainly earned that through his play on top of being a young asset. Absolutely. Uh, Matisse, of course, it's, you know, it's the tale of two takes. You have a struggling offensive player who has not exactly found his shot yet or his role in the offense, but is a all-team defender. Whether that's first or second, either way, he's an amazing, amazing perimeter defender in this game, and that's extremely valuable, especially with Ben Simmons gone. Yeah, for real. He he fills that hole so perfectly that, honestly, he filled the hole before we knew we needed it filled. Right. And, uh... I'm glad he's saying he's one of my favorite players as far as his role in the offense. I attribute a lot of that to Doc Rivers and competency. Um, I just don't really, I don't think he knows how to use him. I think he wants him to just be that sole three and D. 
I think he could be more than that, or at least used in a more dynamic uh, situation. But as of now, that's kind of what he's locked into. So we'll see if he grows into that role like more proficiently, or if they find another role for him in the offense. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, I think especially with to win these games, it's Joel Embiid first, second, and third. And then you figure out who's going to be your supporting cast that night from there. And I think Coach Rivers has had some ups and downs, to say the least, with this team. And I understand Thibel has not exactly shown that he should be getting more touches. Because the touches he does get, not in transition buckets, obviously. Mm -hmm. Just last night uh, against OKC Thunder, he had two pick sixes, and you know the equivalency on the basketball court. And that's basically his offense. Otherwise, he had one nice drive in last night where he took it um, from the corner in, but... Yeah, I mean, they're not really trusting him to go playmake or anything like that. No, no, not in the slightest, and he's not a shot creator yet. So I think it's just a matter of developing his role over time. Of course, he is extremely young, just as Maxi. so it's like the pressure isn't there just yet to yeah. be, you know, uh, a bona fide starter necessarily. It's just be a competent role player sure. uh, because this is now a contending team with it two is. stars. I completely agree. I think the effort is there on his half. Absolutely. Which I think is more to say than his counterparts, like uh, the one that just walked out the door. Sure. But so like that to me is like, okay, super young, was it third year in the league? Yep. Consistently putting in the effort and work to try to be a better player. And I think we do see it some nights where the progress is there, disappears some other nights, but it is still there. And I think it's all we can hope for with his, like you said, all NBA perimeter defense. Right, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I want to get your take. So we just said, of course, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, two first-round picks. Is that too much? No. Okay. I really don't think so. I, like The first-round the first round picks, I couldn't care less about, if I'm being completely honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all know what drafting the NBA is like. There's more misses than there are hits. Of course. Um, so when you really dive into the situation we're in and Joel's prime, you have to go get it done right now. This is like the window you're in is not very large for prime MVP Embiid. Mm-hmm. So, if all you gave up essentially really was Seth Curry, Drummond, and then two picks, one five years down the line, right? You're not really losing that much. Like I think people are too hung up on first round draft picks, especially in, in the NBA. But look at our past draft picks, and like most of them have misses. Right. I think especially with the past regime. There have been a few misses, or at the very least, players who didn't exactly pan out here. Yeah. So I think the pressure, you know, of course, is lessened when you already have two stars and you're just trying to find the like the last few pieces. Uh, but Maxi being a home run and arguably the third most productive player on this team, yep. uh, at least the, at least in the top three before Harden got here, and now of course it remains to be seen. I, I think it's very interesting, not only in the national media, but you know. Reddit, Twitter, basically any forum you want to pick. It seems like the Nets are big winners here is a consensus I've seen, or at least they are winners in the same degree as the Sixers, which I find a little strange. I do too, and I think it's I think it's because, one, they haven't seen Ben play in a while. So it's like a question mark. And sure. I think they're assuming they're getting a Ben Simmons who is going to come out shooting, come out like the strong defender he has been. And he might come out as a strong defender again because, as we all know, as Philly fans, he's a phenomenal defender. Right. 
I thought he should have gotten Defensive Player of the Year the other year. That's neither here nor there. But I think they're expecting a different and a better Ben Simmons. But when it, I truly believe, and I heard somebody else say it on um, one of the Philly radio shows, I can say with the most confidence that that same choke artist is going to come back out. I, I don't think that's something that necessarily changes. I, can't, I don't think he can take that and say, well, it was just Philly that made me be this way. I think that's just how you are. I think that's the person, the player that you just are. The moment is too big for you, and you're not ready for that pressure. So a team like the Nets with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and now yourself, they're they're primed for an Eastern Conference Finals appearance. Like that's what they're hoping for. Right. You know that's that is their goal. I don't see him stepping up and delivering when they need him most. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because again, if we went off of paper. Yes, Ben Simmons fits with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and the Brooklyn Nets roster better than he did in Philadelphia. Sure. I, th- I think that's fair to say. Absolutely. I think that's the problem is not only as Sixers fans, but anyone watching basketball, we've been operating on Ben Simmons on paper for some time, mm-hmm. and it's just not the same product. Mm-hmm. It's, and I think there is some questions. You said it. Of course, it's he is a question mark. Like, what level of... You know, how long does it take to get reconditioned? Of course, that is going to take a little bit of time. You expect his defense to be relatively the same because that is mostly effort and technique that doesn't necessarily just disappear, even though on it's, you know, essentially a six to seven month hiatus. I think that his offense is a huge question mark, especially with such a young coach in Nash and that staff. They weren't able to really get Harden to rant into a two man game. Yeah. So while Simmons is a more willing passer, I think it's a little concerning that if you weren't able to develop a two-man game with two bona fide top ten players, how does the two-man game look with a shortened season? You basically have 30 games mm-hmm. less than, considering KD's injury, to try and make it work before the playoffs. Yeah. So on one hand, you got a move that theoretically could help you now, especially when you consider Curry and Drummond. But because it feels like the season is slipping away for Brooklyn, you're like, okay, it's going to help next year. Well, Curry and Drummond are expirings. Yep. So, and I mean, we don't need to even get into the fact that Kyrie Irving is also on a player option. Who knows how that goes? Of course, we're waiting on the vaccine mandate. Is that ever going to change? So it's a move that could be in the future. But then the two assets that seem like real pros, which of course, Curry is a terrific offensive player, elite three-point shooter, Good mid-range creator uh, and decent finisher on the basket, especially for his size. Drummond is probably the best center on that roster anyway. But yep. as I was discussing uh, last night with a few people, the Nets have five centers on their roster now. And if you want to play Simmons at center, that makes six. Yeah. They have Sharp, Claxton, now Drummond. And I mean, Blake Griffin is essentially a center now as well. And I might be forgetting one more name in there. So you got a bunch of bigs, none of which that can shoot. And while Drummond's the best rebounder there, he's not necessarily the most athletic. That would be Claxton. But, oh, Aldridge, of course. LaMarcus Aldridge, that's who I'm forgetting. LaMarcus Aldridge is the most offensively gifted. Mm -hmm. Drummond's not necessarily that. So it's like if you could combine five players together, yeah, then you got your center, (laughs) but you don't. So I think it's a little peculiar that Brooklyn's seeing this as a big win-now move when... They are still missing a couple of things. Uh, Simmons is a great defender, but he's not a wing mm. to help on the offense. So now you're running Patty Mills, Seth Curry, oh, and Kyrie Irving. So you have three guards that are 6'2 or shorter. 
Yeah. I mean, it's that's a dilemma upon itself again with an already bad Brooklyn defense. And like another question mark around Ben is if what I saw was correct and he's playing the four. You know, right. if that's where they decide to play him, you know, I, what I saw could have been completely wrong. You know, I don't think anybody 100% knows yet what no, the Nets no one to do yet. except for them. But if he's playing the four, he's going to be getting a little bit more, he's going to have to get a little bit more physical, which is going to send him to the line more, right. which he's extremely weak from. So is that going to change overnight as well? Is he going to become a great free throw shooter? Because I don't see that. Right. I mean, That's a huge mental game, and he's already shown he's pretty mentally weak when it comes to this, especially in situational games. So unless he's completely taking a 100% 180, I just don't see how they could just be so set on this being a win for them. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think Ben Simmons, you know, he was a bad free throw shooter in the regular season standards. And then, of course, in his previous playoffs, it fell off a cliff. Record-breakingly bad. Yes, truly the worst on time, especially with what uh, worst all-time considering volume. And I just think expecting that to change, especially this season, is just unfair to Ben. Yeah. To expect him to just adapt and even transform his game in th- roughly 30 games before the playoffs, I don't think you could ask anyone to do that. But this is the situation he has now put himself in. Right. So they should be upset with him if he's not ready to come out and play right now. This is this is your fault. You created the hole you now lay in. Yeah. And if he comes out flat and Brooklyn hates him, he should expect no less. I don't understand what he thinks the NBA is or what it's like, but the fans only want to see you win. They don't give a shit how you play. They want you to win the games. So if you're completely falling short every night, or especially when the moments are big, you know they're going to turn on you. Fast, and that's every fan base in the NBA. It's not a Philly thing. Philly turns fast, and we're loud, we're obnoxious, we're toxic. Right. But every fan base is going to turn on you. Every every NBA's media is going to turn on you if you are consistently coming up short. Right, and if you give them any motivation to do so. And I think that's just it with this Ben Simmons complaints, you know, with the slander. I think it's... It's fine and understandable that Ben Simmons would turn against Philadelphia fans. That is an understandable move from a player that is frustrated. I personally wish it was handled differently, but it's still a personal decision. It's up to Simmons at the end of the day. I think it's a little more confusing and questionable that he turned against the entire organization. Mm-hmm. Not only his teammates that he, you know, for some, like in Beat, of course, he spent years with, but... They lived together for a little bit, too. Right. Your trainers, your coaches, just the front office, somehow the relationship soured so hard for all of them. And I just think it's very difficult to understand that with the same kind of rationale that we would treat any other job. I think that's the confusing part. You can't just go in and take a break, (laughs) several month break from work because of stress induced issues and Again, this isn't a commentary on Simmons' therapy. I think it's just a little confusing that the dialogue all but stopped with not only the fans, which is more acceptable, but your entire organization. Mm-hmm. There's no way the entire organization was out to see you fail, considering the season before last, they just paid you. <laughs> exactly. We've, we've done nothing. And honestly, all the pushback that Philly fans got from like other NBA fans were like, you're too hard on him. Like, this is why Philly fans are the worst. Right. We've done nothing but support this man and say how great of a player he could be for so many years. 
You know, I, I feel like we've given him a very fair backing for a long time. Longer than I think I've seen any Philly player last before everyone just completely turned on him. Right. Like, and it really was up until the Hawks series that we were just like, you know what? We are done with this. Like, we've given you time. We, we've paid you. We have put you on the pedestal of an all-star. Like, we, we hold you to such a high standard, and you, you just don't care. It's... That's the perception, at least. Yeah. yeah that's like, the perception. He's not, he wasn't working on his game or even taking the chances. Like, like the infamous play of passing out over dunking on Trey Young. Young, who was like six feet away from you. Right. So, it's it's these little things that are finally just like, you know what? Like, I can't take this anymore. Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, of course, seeing that Atlantic, Atlanta series kind of put everything together, and that was the final straw for... 95% of Philly fandom, whereas some like myself, you know, yourself and others were, were kind of out on the Simmons, I don't want to call it experiment, but, you know, process, I guess, yeah. uh, of Ben Simmons that, you know, post that 2019 Raptors series, I said Ben Simmons should go to a different team. Yep. The fit just isn't as clean as it could be. And you're clearly trying to build around a better player in Joel Embiid. So it would be better for both parties if they split because Simmons, of course, was at that time garnering a much bigger haul. And while James Harden is the MVP, we can talk about James Harden a bit more now. James Harden in 2019 is probably more than Ben Simmons. Yes. Uh, I think that's fair to say that James Harden was a different player then as well. So are there any fears that you have with the beard now in Philadelphia? Um, I th- Yeah, I think I'd be foolish to not have some kind of fears. Um, he has had different injuries here and there, like hammy injuries. Right. Definitely don't need that to become a thing, especially gearing up for the playoffs. We've both said it now. We're looking, we're looking forward to a championship run. You know, like we said, we're not guaranteeing anything because nothing's guaranteed in basketball or sports in general. But as far as James Harden and fears go, chemistry wise, very worried about it. I don't think James Harden, his entire career, at least to me, he's never seemed like a true team player. He's kind of like, I'm I'm about me. He has gotten uh, to be a better passer, especially when he went to the Nets. I think it was weapon-wise. I think he, he adapted, right? Yeah, exactly. So like, he was looking for more of his guys open. I mean, things were different when he was in Houston, so I, I can't really say too much about his time there. But when he came to Brooklyn, I was very skeptical. I was like, this is not going to work out for them. I just don't see James wanting to share the ball. Turned out to be just fine. He was sharing it when they were all on the court together. I'm hoping for the same thing. I'm hoping him and Embiid's game can get along. Right. Because Embiid is a very ball-dominant player, uh, and so is James. Now, hopefully they can both work together and they can establish the true number one on the team, which should be Embiid. Right. Because he is currently the leading MVP candidate. Right, at least in the top three. Yeah. Uh, I think he's still leading, but right. Yeah. could the- just be favoritism. Sure, it, it's exactly the vote kind of changes each week. Yeah. I, like Vegas odds, of course, will change uh, depending on team record and such. But I agree. I mean, I think the real concern for me is I've seen Harden adapt from his historic usage rate in Houston. <laughs> yeah, truly, like mind boggling like 30, Thirty, forty times a game, it, and making it work mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and so the passing has never really been a concern for me. It's the secondary passing. And like you said, that's kind of when the ball is out of your hands. Mm-hmm. Because we've seen Embiid has been taking the ball a lot, 
partially forced upon him, but also out of necessity. He needs the ball. He likes to get a little bit of time to operate in the post. Not everything is a quick shot. Yeah. So he needs time to like make decisions, and especially this season with Simmons gone, he's been essentially a lead facilitator, bringing the ball up and deciding what happens on offense. He's yes. kind of the main decision maker if he's not the main passer. So I think how much off-ball movement and off-ball activity is James Harden going to provide? Uh, of course, you mentioned the hamstring. I mean, yeah. they're nagging injuries. They're not exactly something that just disappears. So I don't have... I'm not concerned if the first, like, five to ten games, Harden's still dealing with the hammy. That does matter. Yeah. Uh, an interesting set I saw from Kirk Goldsberry uh, came out today was Harden's max speed reached in-game, and it's from 2013 to this season, and he averaged 19.5 miles per hour for six straight seasons. In the last two, he's at uh, max 16 miles per hour. So it's it's one of those very very nerdy stats. Yeah, it is. Uh, and you know it's reading into a lot because of course he had the hamstring injury, and he's also now thirty two. Yeah, going to be thirty three at the end of the year. Getting older, he's, he is slowing down a bit. We've seen a size increase in Harden as well. Yeah, it's in flux, right? So I mean, it it happens, but the shot is still there. He can still shot create, right? And he can still hit his shots. Now I think to go back to uh, fears because. While you were talking, kind of like a light bulb went off in my head about Embiid and Harden working together. The fears I may have, the biggest fears anyway, might not even be with Harden and Embiid. It might be with Doc Rivers' game planning right. for the two. Because you could have, what you were starting to allude to, was everything's been on Embiid. And that's what he's used to right now. Yep. But you could take so much pressure off of Embiid now and and spread him out for longer periods of time with Harden having the ball a little bit. While Embiid still gets his usage, he just doesn't have to do as much as playmake and stuff like that right. and just be the center he's supposed to be. Just worry about scoring on offense and just being the same defensive anchor. Exactly. That's and been the expectation. He can still be the number one on the team mm-hmm. without having to carry the entire team now, which I think might be an adjustment because he's just not used to the help. Right. But now, he ha- now hopefully he has it. But, again, this is going to be up to Doc Rivers' play calling and preparation for these games moving forward right and i think that is of worthy concern because harden's main diet is pick and roll and he's always looked his best when he has himself three shooters and a rim running center or four shooters in an ideal world for for james so i think Embiid, although he's been better at screen setting this season and as a roller historically he's had to pop and again, mm-hmm. some of that's out of necessity from the teammates he's played with. And some of that, I think, is also personal preference because, you know, it's been made plenty apparent of Embiid's previous conditioning uh, not always being the best or just overall health not always being the best. So that is an adjustment upon itself. Harden's off-ball activity is uh, something that James has <laughs> to figure out because he that's one thing he has not really changed mm-hmm. all that much. He kind of... He takes a playoff, essentially, when the ball's not in his hands. But it's like, some of that, yeah, in Houston, I could understand because you have to do everything else. But in a championship setting, you can't really take plays off. Mm-hmm. When you're on the bench, is your playoff. Exactly. Uh, so I think, yeah, Coach Rivers has a lot to figure out. I mean, is his offensive system going to change? Is he going to adapt? And the biggest thing, which I saw on Twitter, at least today, that apparently Rivers has said he wants to stagger Harden and Embiid, that's a huge dilemma, is the staggering of minutes 
from Max Unibead, which we really have not seen enough this year, and of course, Rivers' infamous all-bench lineup. Can that completely disappear now? Has to, right? It has to write with a question mark, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're questioning if that will be the case. Um, How but, is it that we consistently just question everything that Doc Rivers does? Like, I just don't see, like, like we can't be the only people that notice it. Of course like, not. Like, his staff has to notice it. Like, buddy, this just ain't it. Like, you can't have an entire bench lineup out there in the playoffs. No, it's no. just It's just not, it's not how you win. No, not in the slightest. And I think even the regular season, you know, regular season is meant for, you know, experimenting. And Brett Brown did it. Any previous coach, any current coach, experimenting is a necessity because sometimes you're going to find a gem that if you didn't try out, you wouldn't dare try it in the postseason. So that's yeah. fine. But seeing Maxi and Embiid on the bench and that featured when he was here, a Seth Curry, Furkan Korkmaz, Danny Green, George Yang, Andre Drummond lineup. There is no legitimate above-average passer in that lineup. Nope. No anywhere close to a tr- true point guard. Mm-mm. And Seth Curry being your main shot creator, with Furkan Korkmaz being your second, that's scary hours. That's nothing I ever want to see on the floor. No. That's almost as bad as take it back to like, a couple of years ago when you would see uh, Redick and, oh uh, my God, uh, his name is blanking. We traded him to the Pacers. Trade him to um, the Pacers. He, it was uh, TJ... TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell. Oh, Gosh. of course. I've been so bad with names today, just in general. But yeah, when we would see those two on the floor together with Brett, it was just like... Oh, man. Dude, we're six minutes into this right now? <laughs> six minutes. Like, this is, what, this, is, this is what we're playing? Like, no no wonder we are blowing every single lead we have. We're, we're about to lose to the Magic. Mm-hmm. And we were at that game. And we were yeah. sitting there. And we're really about to blow it to the Magic right now. Yeah, that was that was truly something special. Just watching leads evaporate into thin air once you go to the bench lineup. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, like many coaches have, you know, whether it's COVID or injury this season, mm-hmm. uh, Rivers has had to experiment with lineups. He doesn't have the same consistency. We get that. I, I think it's a little concerning that you're running eight or nine-man rotations, sometimes not out of necessity. I'm seeing players that have gotten PT sitting on the bench, never taking off a warm-up jacket, because they're not touching the floor. So running short rotations in the regular season says to me, either you're really confident in who you have, or you're not confident in who you have, and you're just going with your best guys to get you a win, which is like sometimes a buffer, you know? Like Mm -hmm. it's a little misleading. Like if you have to go to an eight-man rotation against the OKC Thunder, for example, a team that is actively trying to lose to capitalize on the draft capital they acquired in... Uh, trades that to me says you don't know what you're doing or you're just not confident in your next three four players no it's exactly what it says and that's that's not exactly inspiring against playoff teams who will go to a nine or eight man rotation because they already know what that means they already know who that is and they have the lineups for that like you shouldn't have to shorten your leash in the regular season against no. teams that are not contending. But, that, I mean, that shows, like, because, I mean, I believe it, too. Like, we don't have a strong bench at all. No, it's very and inconsistent. I, like you said, our, some of our bench, our best bench, like, shot creators are Furkan Korkmaz. Yeah. No. I hate that. I hate that more than anything. I've watched the man live go one for 15, one for 16. Right. And just jacking stuff up, thinking he just made a shot. Like, just created an opening, and it didn't. 
Like, right. It's desperation. You shouldn't be taking runners from the three-point line, especially with 12 <laughs> seconds left on the shot clock. It's just, no. it's not what I want to see. That's not how you win games. No. So I, this all, all of this to say, to circle back to the point, that now that Harden is here, Maxi especially should be leading the bench unit, I think, more often than not. Maybe in with these earlier games and Harden's hamstring maybe not being 100%, maybe Harden should be doing a little bit more second unit mm-hmm. facilitating and leading. I wouldn't hate it, especially until he adapts and adjusts to the new system right. with all these new players again. You know, he's in a new environment for the fourth time in his career. Right. right. Yes. Fourth yeah. So it's a huge transition. He's not going to a bum team that he needs to take over the entire team. So right. running him with the second team for the first week, week and a half, until at least until his hammy's figured out, it's really not a bad idea. No. Let Maxie keep going with the offense he already knows. Right. Let James learn it and see what you have with staggering the two out. Right. I mean, we talked this talked about this off pod that if I were in Doc Rivers' shoes, I would want to see Harden probably get pulled at the five or four minute mark in the first quarter, get an early rest, and then by like 11 or 10 minutes into the second quarter, that's when you come back in. Mm-hmm. You basically do what Tobias Harris typically does, which is lead the second unit. Yeah. And, you know, now that we lost uh, Drummond and Curry, Harris may still have to be in that kind of the same role, which is not the end of the world. I think Harris has adapted pretty well to playing big minutes. And this past month has been Harris's best time as a sixer, dare I say. I mean... At least this, uh, this year, at least. I sure. Mean, exactly. Had, this I, I will say, last year I was impressed by Harris. I think he... I think Julius Randle, who of course has fallen off a cliff this season, mm-hmm. was a bona fide all-star. If it was not for Randle's play last year, I think Harris had a chance at sliding in as a reserve. Too. I thought he had... I Like, last year, I was starting to put my Harris hate away right i was like wow he's really stepping up and then in the playoffs it continued he he did he was playing very well for a stretch yeah. and then we hit the hawk series and he he pulled a disappearing act uh, right for a few he had a couple good stretches in some of the games but for the most part it was where'd harris go it was lackluster for sure and again you hate to bring it up but especially with that paycheck yeah if, if it wasn't for that salary and that contract Absolutely. harris would be viewed in a completely different light and yeah, he's he's very good for the locker room. I think we've that's the thing of like maybe we have to offload Harris's money to pay Harden has been like a discussion and was mm-hmm. a discussion before the trade. It's like I don't really want to see Tobias Harris leave that much. It's the money is the issue. Thirty six mil this year is the issue. Yeah, if you cut that into eighteen, twenty four, even as high as like twenty eight, I'll say you just shave some of that off. That's one more great role player, and Harris is now playing up to the expectation because the expectation of being a second option is not realistic. You're not Chris Middleton, and you don't have Drew Holiday behind you yet. I mean, I like Maxie, but he's not Drew Holiday yet, so that's the comparison I constantly come back to And because Middleton got the same exact contract. So, I mean, it's not... You flip. I mean, good grief. No, for real. Like you said, he'll he'll be meeting the expectations. It's just, it's not realistic for your highest paid player on the team to be Tobias Harris. Right. Especially when you have Joel Embiid on the team. Exactly. Like, it's laughable, but that is what we're dealing with right now. And I am hoping with Harden here, it takes a load off of Harris. And he doesn't have to do as much. And then he can get primed to become a bigger role on the team with the lesser role, if that makes sense. You know, doing more with less than having to feel like he's got to shot create all the time when the ball's out of Embiid's hands. And really just kind of 
helping out the offense, like I said like, already, like doing more with less for Harris, I think is going to be huge for us. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, and the big thing with Harden, of course, because we, we've talked about how good his passing is and how proficient he is, I'm hoping not only with like a Cork Maz or Milton, who would be second unit guys, but Harris would get better looks from three. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can go to the corner on more possessions and for, please get out of the post when Embiid is operating at the free throw line. I can't. Like, seeing that as the, the option that Harris wants to go to first, it's like, are you sure about that? Because Aaron Gordon doesn't do that for Jokic in Denver mm-hmm. because Gordon knows his role yep. and knows, knows, knows Jokic can get by his man and he should get this, this space to operate in the paint. Yep. If Harris, you know, has to flare out because now you have a point guard that not only can set up other guys, but also wants to get to the rim himself and Harden. Hopefully that spaces things out. And yeah. I mean, Harris is a 35% three-point shooter this year on pretty much the same volume for the last three seasons. If that goes up just a couple of ticks and Green gets one more open look a game, like that's, we talked about this last night. Yeah. Like Milton, Cork, Maz, Green, and Harris could all dramatically improve. Mm-hmm. And if you can just get Niang and Maxi to be the same thing, they have been from three this season. I feel really good. Despite losing Curry, I feel pretty good about this team. I did too, because even though we lost Curry. Which is big. It is. But, so we lost a shooting guard, we gained a shooting guard. Essentially, yeah. Like, so, Harden's a better shooter. Not statistically, no. I okay, mean, well, off, I, I, off of volume. Like, I should, I should sure. preface this. And again, James Harden, the lineups for Brooklyn have been super inconsistent. I think that's, it'd be unfair to say that that hasn't affected his game. We know the hammy has. We also know that Harden was not doing too well when he wasn't getting free throw calls like he normally sure, does. He doesn't get to the line. And I've said before that Harden is a rhythm player to the extreme, and getting to the line is a rhythm thing. If you expect to get to the line two times in the first quarter and it doesn't happen, that throws your entire game out of whack. That's fair. And those, you know... 15-second breathers that you would normally get at the free-throw line definitely impacts cardio uh, for the rest of the game. So that has mattered. But for this season, from the field, Harden is at 41%, Mm -hmm. not exactly elite, uh, and 32%, if I'm not mistaken, 32 or 33% from three on seven attempts a game. So the volume's there, and whether or not all those excuses I just laid out potentially for Harden are valid, that's what we're working with right now. So not his best. Sure. I still personally would rather have the ball in Harden's hands than Curry's hands. Seth Curry. Sure. Right, right, right. Let, let me preference that. Yeah. But he is a better, in my opinion, this is all my opinion, I think he's a better shooter. Okay. I think he's a better playmaker. Sure. A better shot creator. Sure. And he can finish at the rim better than yeah. Seth can. Yes. And for both of them being basically invisible on defense, Harden is just a tick potentially better than right. Curry, I think, based on size. Right. So I, we got a better shooting guard than we had, so I don't feel like we missed out on too much there. The biggest thing we're going to miss is the backup center to Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. And what do we do to replace that? Yeah, and I've said, uh, I said this last night, I believe I said this on your podcast as well, uh, episode out now, by the way, uh, that really? Tristan Thompson is the guy I'm looking at now, which, you know, any day... Aside from this past week, I would have been like, why do I want Tristan Thompson? (laughs) Tristan Thompson does essentially fill the void that Drummond does. Finish around the rim a couple of times a game, get me five to six rebounds, which is what he was averaging in Sacramento, and do that. I think he just got bought out by Indiana. 
it's going to be a low-level contract, and we are technically a contender, at the very least yes, now. We are. So he should be at least interested, I would hope. And I, I just think that's our best-case scenario. I, there, I don't think there's another big that basically does what Drummond did. And I do think Drummond is still better than Thompson, obviously, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the closest you can get because Paul Millsap, who we didn't even mention yeah. in this pod yet that we got, uh, you know, he's not a center. He no. was a very good power forward for a long time. But the past couple of seasons in Brooklyn, I mean, he's just showing his age. He's 37. You know, if you're as long as you're not LeBron James or Chris Paul, you typically aren't great at 37. Yes. I think that's the norm. Yeah. Like, a normal and, human is not six, normally seven. great. Yeah, he's, exactly. He's 6'7". He's, he's not a center. He's not close to being a center. Unless you're no. running very, very small ball, but typically that's not going to win you a championship. So, especially with your second team. Right. Like, uh, it's just not realistic. So, like you said, bringing in Tristan Thompson, is he, like you said, is he as good as Drummond? No, he's not. But he's good enough to hold it down for however many minutes and B needs to sit especially in the playoffs, you're not going to see a ton of Tristan Thompson. Right. You're going to see him for very short intervals, and Embiid's going to be right back out there. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, and there's another thing that we, we've said before is I think the Sixers have learned from the Greg Monroe horror story nightmare uh, that was that Toronto series in 2019 where Embiid was a plus 90 in total uh, and plus minus, and I believe Greg Monroe was a negative 12 in total by the end, and that was in, like, the final minutes of a Game 7. So that that was a horror story. And I think what's interesting about a Tristan Thompson is when Embiid goes to the bench or if Embiid has to sit a game, uh, which would be unfortunate, of course, Harden plays with that type of big better. I mean, Thompson's not the same athlete mm-hmm. he was in Cleveland, but just a rim runner and knows how to just catch a lob or finish around the basket, yeah. and then it's three shooters, that's in Harden's element. Yeah, And even when... Last year, when Harden had you know thirty four games of MVP worthy play, before the hamstring struck, he was it was without KD, it was without Kyrie, it was just him and shooters and a Nicholas Claxton or a rim runner. It's like that's exactly what you need. And sometimes if that's your you know Embiid rest night, and just ask Harden to be at least All NBA caliber, if it's not going to be MVP ever again, that's fine. That's a good insurance policy. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, I mean Embiid is. The expectation should be like 38 minutes a night in the exactly. playoffs. Uh, it's nothing less. Yeah. Unless it's a complete blowout game, nothing less than 38. And, you know, against like a Washington Wizards squad from last season where, you know, we got them in five, it should have been four. Yes. Uh, it, sh- it could have been three if we were like for <laughs> what Washington was in comparison to the Sixers. Uh, the East this year is not that. I, I briefly want to go over the standings. The Miami Heat, uh, at the recording of this podcast, 36-20, and 20, lead the conference. The Cavs, who the Sixers will be playing tonight in like two hours, they're 35 and 21 in second. The Bulls, same record, 35 and 21. The Bucks, 35 and 22. And the Sixers are two and a half games back, 33 and 22. Uh, the Raptors are two and a half games back, excuse me, at one in the game, one game and a half? Yeah. Uh, back from the Sixers. Then it goes Celtics, who are on a, a nine and one streak in their last Ooh. 10. Their defense has been the best uh, this month, which is. Remarkable, they've made Al Horford and Robert Williams work. Right. Uh, and then there's the Nets, l- losers of their last 10. Yep. So, now, with that said, though, no Harden, no right. Durant. Well, Harden was there. It Harden was, was just, there for how many games, though? I think it was about six. Uh, I mean, the meme, of course, that came out of that was against the Kings, where he put up four points. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, he had one of his worst games against. Yeah, it against looks them. like 
it looked like Harden and Houston when he was trying to get out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I think Brooklyn saw that just as well as every NBA fan yeah. seemingly saw that. So I think it's interesting. The Nets might just go into the play-in. They could. Uh, because the Raptors and Celtics are getting hot. There's still plenty of season to go. And I don't but... really think Durant is itching to come back. No. it. I mean, judging by his response to Ernie, he was no. in no particular rush. No. Uh, I could see Durant after this year forcing himself out. Saying, I'm not happy anymore. I want to leave. Durant wanting to leave Brooklyn. Oh, me, oh, my. Uh, well, that's a hot take I wasn't prepared for. I've said that already, I think. I, I would not be shocked now that Harden kind of pushed his way out. I think Durant's going to sit back and be like, dude, I'm I'm done. Like, Wow. I, I don't want to be here. Because al- he already is miserable, right? You would think. He already, I'm not ju- sure judging that from, he is. Judging but... from that, that little snippet there. Like he's obviously he's either. never happy when he's on the camera. I don't think he's well. That's yeah, exactly. That's he's just never, he's, he's never happy, never happy on camera. That response, though, like it speaks more volume to me than anything. It's no, I don't. I don't necessarily want to be here. So I think if he finds mm. a suitor, I could see him leaving. Maybe. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, just off the top of your head, do you have like two or three? I mean, and obviously everyone's going to want Kevin Durant services. That's yes. not the question. Do we think, what are the two or three teams that come to mind that mm. Durant would be like, yeah, I'm interested in? By the way, I mean, we'll, we will talk about Kevin Durant's legacy uh, <laughs> and the ultimate failure that would be the Brooklyn Nets in that scenario. There's obviously but, no loyalty in his legacy. It, it certainly doesn't feel that way. I mean, but, there's a lot of loyalty to himself. And, you know, a player needs that. I mean, at the end of the day, a player does need loyalty to yeah. yourself first. But, yeah, what are the first two teams that come to mind then in, um, in that scenario? Honestly, I mean, that's really tough because I'm trying to look at the teams, like, and this is without, like, statistically, not statistically, but financially speaking because, sure. you know, teams are going to have to move, move some stuff around. And, and they will. <laughs> absolutely. But, I mean, and this, this could just be so hot of a take. I wouldn't close the door on a Golden State reunion tour. Oh, me? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't close that door. I think they have the pieces of trade, too. And I could see their their front oh office just. Goodness. I mean, the Nets love draft picks. We saw it in the past, and they just. <laughs> oh my! If Durant starts forcing himself out, I could see them jumping on something. I, I'm struggling to wrap my head around that. Honestly, I mean that's. Uh, yeah, that that would. They're they're obviously would still break. boys. Drummond, I, I, Drummond and him are, are fine. No, Draymond, right? Well, yeah, I, I said, said Drummond. Drummond. Yeah, yeah. Said, let's hope they're fine. The same, anger. Now. same anger. Same um, anger. <laughs> no, but Draymond and Durant, they're fine. Right, like they like there was that that small beef they had. I think the media more blew that up. I think yeah. both of them said it. Yes, um, but they're cool, and that was the only question mark people had of why Durant left. So like, why would that door be shut if he just wants to win at this point? I mean, that yeah, you know paper. the system, you know the chemistry, you know how to play with Curry and Thompson. You guys would have just kept winning chips had Thompson and Durant not just exploded in the finals. Right, exactly. They would have yeah. beat that Raptors team. Uh, yeah, that is the consensus. Uh, yeah, uh, which yeah, it's a close series. I, I think that's interesting. The team that stares me in the face, which would just be, I mean, the amount of irony in KD just leaving Brooklyn by itself would be incredible. But it's the other New York team. It's the Knicks. It's what everyone like thought they knew was a guarantee. Yes, was Kyrie and KD going to the Knicks. I. Would be shocked if Kevin Durant goes to uh, the Knicks. That's more shocking than Golden State. Yes, to me, to me, yeah. Oh my! I because I don't think right now in Kevin Durant's career and age 
especially with his injury history. He, I don't think he wants to go somewhere where he's like, it's 90% me mm-hmm. and 10% the team. I think he's done with that. I don't think he, I think he knows he can't handle that anymore hmm. because his body has been breaking down. We consistently see it since his Golden State days. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not no. saying Golden State is the only suitor for him. Sure. I, I'm just saying don't close the door on a reunion tour. But I definitely could see him. I, I think he's only going to go to a place where he doesn't have to be the carrier of the team. Wow. Okay. I mean... Brooklyn fans, anyone who's listening to that, uh, I, I fear for that reality. Hey, if uh, you're a Brooklyn fan, get ready because bright days are not in your horizon. I'm whew. sorry, I really don't. I don't. I think if you guys don't win a championship this year, I think the team blows up. My goodness! Wow. Okay. I mean, that would be a sight to see. And uh, I mean, you have the we, ultimate team cancer on your team already. Who? Not Ben Simmons. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Kyrie Irving destroys franchises. Yeah, I mean, if, if Harden has a history of pouting and getting his way to getting out, mm-hmm. Kyrie certainly has a way a way of making locker rooms, we'll say, uncomfortable. Yes, that's to say the least. Uh, and make your you know your roster inconsistent. He finds ways to do that, whether he's healthy or not. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's, wow, that is not the turn I was expecting <laughs> to go down. But I kind of love it because that's a, that's a really fun rabbit hole. Uh, but on that note, uh, I, I want to say I feel good overall. I feel good as a Sixers fan. I feel good uh, watching where the Sixers are. I, I think it remains to be seen. I think Brooklyn did make a good trade overall. You know, as Sixers fans, we may have our doubts about Ben Simmons, but again, they did the best with what they could. He's the Ben fits in better in Brooklyn than he does in Philadelphia. Absolutely, I think that's. I think that's. You're a, foolish to not think that. I think. I I personally think like right. He right. just, it's, it would have been Melo going to Chicago instead of the Knicks. He's a better fit in Chicago. He's not a mm. defensive player. He didn't, he wouldn't have had to play defense in Chicago as much. And he would have had a lot lighter of a load to carry. Yeah. That's... I, I've been on that pedestal for a long time that Melo would have won a chip in Chicago, I think. Yeah. That's definitely something I want to revisit. Uh, I would love to. Yeah. That... that team was the best team, uh, the best defensive team in the league. It was. It was absolutely. Thibodeau ran. They had Jakeem Noah still in his prime. Yep. Like, uh, I think they had Lou Aldang. Yep. They had yep. Carlos Boozer. Taj Gibson was still Taj there. Taj Gibson. Like, they... Still healthy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they... And then you were getting Nuggets, Carmelo Anthony. Don't yeah. forget, like, Melo turned into a joke later in his career, but when he first got to New York, they were a very solid team they, because yeah, of him. A bona fide playoff team with... Every year. A season and a half of good Amari Stoudemire. Mm-hmm. And all the role players that they <laughs> Mello essentially depleted yeah. by requesting the trade and forcing that. But this isn't here for a Mello slander space in a what if. No. Uh, yeah. So just to to recap, I think we both think the Brooklyn Nets and Sixers essentially won the trade. I think the Sixers made out better. Of course, this mm-hmm. is still a what if, and maybe in two seasons' time, if Harden's no longer a Sixer and there's no championship. Yeah, I think at that point I would safely say Brooklyn won the trade. Well, they're going to fall apart after this year anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, they, exactly. They're if, up in uh, flames. Jay-Z's selling the team. Oh, oh no. Brooklyn goes back to the, just Jersey. the Jersey Nets. You're going back to Jersey, baby. Oof. Break out the white jerseys. Oh, man. <laughs> and that ugly logo. Okay, well, Brooklyn Doomsday aside, uh, it was a pleasure talking. Obviously, please, everyone go check out the 4Bs pod. Uh, anything else you would like to plug? Anything you know we can uh, see coming up? Uh, yeah, we'll have more content coming out real soon. I'm sure you'll be a part of it yourself. Um, but yeah, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at the four bees pod. And dude, thank you so much for having me on. I love that. I can't wait to be back. 
Absolutely. Looking forward to being on the 4B some more. And yeah, you'll, you'll be back soon, I promise. Uh, <laughs> Can't wait. All right. Thanks again, everybody. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Not Just Dribble. And have a good one.